0: Well, today we're continuing our sermon series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. This morning, I'm going to be preaching from the second chapter, verses 12 through 18. So listen now for God's word to you today. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring or arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation." in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, You must also be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world this day as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. So last Saturday, I was over at Alameda Point, took my daughter over there to have a driving lesson, like a whole lot of kids from the East Bay go over there. And we hadn't done this driving thing for a really long time together, probably a year and a half. And I think I'd only been driving with her maybe one other time. We were going to hire a driving instructor, but uh, with COVID and everything, we never got around to that. So we go over there, get in the car, and she's sitting behind the wheel, and I say to her, before you start the engine, make sure your foot's on the brake. And she replies, which one's the brake? Well, I would like to say that I said something really sweet and understanding in response, but I have to be Honest with you, what came out of my mouth was something like, How can you not know the difference between the brake and the accelerator? And then she looked at me innocently and said, I forgot, Dad. Can you remind me? That hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought to myself, Don't be such a jerk. Don't be. So, of course she doesn't know the difference. She doesn't remember? It's been a year and a half. It's not something you know automatically the difference between the brake and the accelerator. Like so many other things in life. Learning how to drive, learning about a car takes experience backed up by practice. Well, that experience brings me to Paul's letter to the Philippians. And what he's getting at when he writes to these people, if you've been listening to the sermon series as uh, uh, Dr. Shipstead's been uh, going along here in January, you know that Paul really held that church, that group of Christians, close in his heart. He, He was proud of them. He loved them. But as he is sitting in prison somewhere, he gets word that something's not quite right back in Philippi. It's not that the people in the church are mistreating each other or misbehaving or anything like that. No, their problem is that they have trouble with their neighbors. Remember that Philippi, the town, was originally a Roman colony in northeastern Greece, Macedonia, and it was... The church that Paul had founded there consisted of Gentiles, that is, non-Jews, who had converted to become Christians. But at the same time, everybody else in town worshipped the whole pantheon of Greek gods. So to everybody else in town, this little band of Christians in the church that Paul had founded, they were just completely different. They were weird. And so, they treated them that way. They ostracized them, they mocked them. And you know, I'm sure that made those Christians feel kind of hesitant about sharing their faith with other people. But Paul says, do it anyway. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in Greek, the word he uses is polyteuste, which means to live the life of a citizen, a member of the broader community. So what he's saying here is that hard as it can be sometimes, don't be shy about being seen as a Christian in public. Don't let the neighbors intimidate you. Well, I wonder if you've ever felt that way. In your own life, your own situation where you live. Have you ever hesitated to talk to somebody else about being a Christian or even attending church? I mean, after all, it's kind of a minority position here in the, in the Bay Area and lots of other parts of the country. Most people either don't attend or they're not even part of a, a church or a worshiping community. So in order to fit in, there are times when you and and I, we might want to be quiet about it ourselves. Don't want to offend somebody, don't want to bother them or seem like you're trying to foist a whole bunch of uh, your own personal beliefs onto somebody else. Or maybe you just have a hard time talking about your faith or your relationship with God or Jesus. Or maybe you're embarrassed by how so many other Christians come across as being all harsh and judgmental, self-righteous. Whatever the reasons, being a Christian in public can be hard these days. Although I can assure you that it was a whole heck of a lot harder back when Paul was writing to the Philippians. And he tells them, therefore my beloved, Just as you always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. Now, I've got to say that some people get kind of confused by that particular verse. They think that Paul is saying that salvation somehow comes as a result of work, that is something that you accomplish in order to earn God's favor, as if Paul was writing completely in every other letter that he wrote about justification by grace through faith, and only in one verse does he go against himself. No, he's not saying that at all. What he's saying is that salvation is all God's work, from start to finish. It's a divine gift we call grace that we receive through faith. But, here's the key. That is not where salvation stops once you start following Jesus. So Paul tells the Philippians, and you and me too, to work out for ourselves. That is to actualize, to to show, to live into what it means to be saved, In practice. And there's that word again, practice. I know it might bring to mind what your piano teacher or your your parents told you over and over again as a kid. And yeah, I know it gets old. Paul gets it too. But he says in no uncertain terms, do all things without murmuring and arguing. Don't complain, just practice. I cannot tell you how many times my dad said something like that to me when I was a kid. But here's the thing. Think of faith as a verb, not as a noun, not as something that you hold in your head. Faith is a verb. Faith is active, so learning or living into what it means to be a Christian takes a lot of work. And the truth is that none of us can do it entirely on our own. We mess up all the time as fallible human beings. You know, like me, when I used to practice the saxophone, I could hit some very wrong notes, which my dad, who was a semi-professional sax player, would point out to me. But, you know, that's okay. It's okay, because you can't master a musical instrument unless you make a whole lot of mistakes. And you can't just keep the music stuck up here in your head either. At some point, you got to play. Same thing with faith. And the good news, Paul says, is that Following Jesus isn't something you do as a solo act. It isn't just you. You're not a soloist. He says that it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Greek word here for work is ergon, uh, from which we get the word energy. I mean, sorry, the word is energon, from which we get the word energy. So, when you have faith in Jesus, God takes up residence within you, Paul says, in the Spirit to energize you, to work in you, to Christianize you, so that you can grow in your stature as a child of God. Now, Paul calls that active presence of Christ within you the Word of Life. And he writes, If you cling to it, the word of life, if you cling to the word of life, and the Greek word he he uses here means both hold on to and hold forth, if you cling to the word of life, you're going to shine like stars for the whole world to see. Imagine that. God's working inside you and me like electricity powers a light bulb. To shine light in the darkness. If only we can turn on the switch. C.S. Lewis had a wonderful way of explaining how this process of salvation or sanctification or illumination takes place in the Christian life. In the book that maybe some of you have heard of or read called Mere Christianity, he asks the question, is following Jesus or is being a Christian Easy or hard, easy or hard? And it's a good question because if you look at the Gospels, Jesus says all sorts of seemingly contradictory things about that, right? In Matthew 11, he says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary "'and carrying heavy burdens, heavy laden, "'for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" Sounds great, take a load off, sounds easy. But then, in Luke 9, Jesus says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Doesn't sound easy at all. Who wants that? So which is it? Easy or hard? Well, C.S. Lewis says, it's both. It's both. It's incredibly hard at first to be a Christian. To hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ, as he puts it. And each one of us has a whole lot of our own manners and ways and habits for getting out of or getting away from hearing that call to conversion and change and obedience. We all find ways to avoid it. But if we can trust that God really is at work in us to energize us, then following Jesus gets easier over time. It's never simple. It's never uh, without risk or effort or the the possibility of pain and suffering. None of those things. It's, It's easy because what God is doing Or it gets easier because what God is doing is working to transform each and every one of us from the inside out to do what once seemed impossible. It's not all at once, and it's not once and for all. That's for sure. But as Lewis puts it, quote, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing on, the word of life, and so on and so on all day long. And then he says, we can only do it for moments at first, but... From these moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system because now we are letting God work at the right part of us. It is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or stain which soaks right through. In other words, moment, by moment, word by word, thought by thought, action by action, the spirit of Christ, the word of life is soaking through to the core of our being, of your being, my being. So, at the start of each day, if you can remember to do this, I encourage you, acknowledge that presence that word of life, remember it. You don't have to do anything elaborate, take a whole lot of time, but what if you were to, just the first thing, when you wake up in the morning, you know, before you reach over and check all the email messages that you have on your cell phone, why don't you just try for a moment to be aware of God, the presence that's greater than you and greater than any uh, urgent email messages you might have, And one word we have for that kind of awareness of God is prayer. And prayer takes just so many forms. You could use a very short, ancient prayer that is called the Jesus Prayer, which goes like, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. And then go on your day. Or you could say one of what Annie Lamott says are the three essential one-word prayers to God. Help, thanks, or wow. You could say one of those. Or you could just be silent or say whatever you want, whatever works. Just try to pay attention to the word of life within you. Cling to it. Hold on to it. Just as you are being held onto by God. And for the rest of the day, practice, practice, practice. Now, I could give you a whole list of things to do or sort of like a, like a faith workout routine or something like that for each day of the week. But I'm not going to do that. In fact, right now what I want to do, I just want to share with you some key words that Paul uses in the letter to the Philippians. I want you to just think of these words, meditate on them, take some time, write them down, and just put them in the context of your own life. How are you going to live out the behaviors or the attitudes that Paul calls us to, that calls the church in Philippi to, to call calls all churches to to follow these things. Paul says first, be humble. Be humble. Don't think of yourself as any higher or or somebody else as any lower than, than anyone else when it comes to your relationship with God or anything else. Be humble. He says, respond to the needs of others even if it seems like that response that's required might seem to go against your self-interest, respond. Be brave. Don't be intimidated by, you know, the kind of people who beat you down because of your faith. Be brave. Love, love one another as God loves you. I don't know if I need to say more. And then finally, Be united. Be of one mind, Paul says. Cling to that core focus on Christ that you share, that binds you with your sisters and brothers in faith, even if you might still have some disagreements from time to time, which always comes up. I love a story about this Amish farmer, and he was once asked by an enthusiastic evangelist who was sort of doing his rounds in uh, this area, he was asked, Hey, farmer, are you saved? Are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the man looked at him and replied, Why do you ask me that question? I could say anything. Here is the name of my banker, my grocer, and my farmhands. Go ask them if I'm saved. I love that story because it's a reminder that salvation isn't just about having a certain sort of experience or having a certain set of beliefs up there in your head. It isn't just about you either. It isn't just about me. It's also about us. Us as the body of Christ. Those of us in the church, and those on the outside, too. You see, Jesus didn't come into this world, or into your life, or into my life, just to rescue you or me individually from darkness, as important as that is. He wants you to shine, to be a star, to let your life illuminate the word of life, who is within you. He wants you and me and all of us together to be a galaxy of stars, to show the world that God is active and God is alive. And you know how we do it? Practice. So I hope that when someone asks your neighbor or your acquaintance or your grocer or your banker or anybody whether you're saved, I hope that the answer will be yes, at least a tentative yes. And I pray the same for us. Wherever you happen to be worshiping today, watching this video, having some of their experience with God, I hope the same is said about us as a church, as a congregation, as Piedmont Community Church. Let's illuminate who we are and whose we are what we say, and what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.